0: Live Above the Noise, the Choiceful Family Project. Welcome to Live Above the Noise, the Choiceful Family Project. I'm your host, Wayne Yurcha, and this podcast is a step-by-step action plan to help parents protect and prepare their children for the future. Thank you for joining us. This is episode number 26, and I'm here with my podcast partner, developmental and educational psychologist, and kids media expert, Dr. Rob Ryer. And if this is the first episode you're listening to, we want to tell you that episodes 1 through 8 provide important foundational information. And starting with episode 9, we begin to introduce specific tools and strategies designed to help you protect and prepare your children and family for the future. With the Inner IQ, which stands for Inner Integral Qualities, being introduced in episode 12. And we really recommend that you listen to all the Inner IQ episodes if you can because the Inner IQ provides parents with an essential framework they can use to help understand and guide their children's healthy development. Now in our last episode, we had a wonderful conversation with child development specialist and New York Times best-selling author Dr. Tina Payne Bryson. We discussed Tina's terrific new book, The Power of Showing Up with Dr. Dan Siegel. And Tina provided us with many valuable insights about the four critical building blocks of a child's healthy development. And those are safe, seen, soothed, and secure. In today's episode, we'll be talking with Emmy-nominated filmmaker and creator of the Webby Awards, Tiffany Schlein. Tiffany has been described by Newsweek as one of the women shaping the 21st century. She's the co-founder of Fifty Fifty Day, Character Day, and the International Academy of Digital Arts and Sciences. Her films have been translated into multiple languages and have had over 50 million views. And she's the author of the new must-read book, 24-6, The Power of Unplugging One Day a Week. Tiffany, welcome to Live Above the Noise. We're so happy to have you with us.
1: I'm so happy to be joining you both.
0: You know, there's so many things that you do looking all over your work. It's incredible work in so many areas. One of the things that struck us was the question, what is your motivation? Can you give us a little bit about your background and what motivates you to engage so deeply in all of these areas?
1: Huh, that's a great question. Like, what's the underlying motivation? Um, (laughs) the meaning of life, the meaning of life. I think the,
0: (laughs) yeah. I thought I'd start with the light question.
1: Yeah. The meaning of life. Like what's the meaning of life? What are we doing here? How to live well? How do we contribute? Well, how do we give back? Well, how do we have a life well lived and how can we live to our best to our strengths? Mm -hmm. You know, I grew up in a household where my father both operated and wrote about the brain. So he was an expert on the biology of the brain. And my mother was a psychologist. so I looked at the psychology of the brain. So uh-huh. I think that was the stew that I <laughs> grew up with. And I'm interested in both neuroscience, psychology. Um, and then I love to kind of take science and complex ideas and distill them into really funny and engaging and accessible ways visually or in formats or books. So you can really go deep on the subject yourself.
0: Well, it's exceptional stuff. And you cover so many different areas. When we were getting ready for this podcast, we just thought, wow, there's so many ways that we can go with this. Um, as you know, uh, Live Above the Noise is about helping parents protect and prepare their kids for the future. Right. And so much of what you're doing is just so deeply in that area. If I could ask you that question to start, in your view, in a world of noise, and we define noise as distraction, distortion, disruption, and overload. Yeah. In a world of all of those things, what is your perception of how we can protect and prepare our kids for the future?
1: That's a great question. There is so much noise and stimulation everywhere. So the single best thing that I can recommend for parents, which I have now done for over 10 years with my husband and our kids, is turn off all screens one day a week. It has been the, the single best thing I've ever done. And um, we, Friday night, we call it our technology Shabbat. Uh, we're Jewish, we're not religious, but I'm really kind of recalling a very old ancient practice of a day of rest and looking at it through a modern lens. And today there are screens everywhere and we're so overstimulated and there's so much noise from those screens that we need to carve out a sacred space for our family where we're just together and we're not negotiating all the screens and all the other different voices coming into the house. So, you know, I just wrote a book. I did it just kind of, you know, my family are super into technology. I should say we're not anti-tech. We don't go to Waldorf schools. We're like, it's of our world, but I think we need to coexist in a better way with it. Mm And my husband's a professor of robotics. We talk a lot about when does technology amplify who we are and when does it amputate who we are? And I think we need to be teaching our kids how to be resilient and how to be present and how to be bored and entertain themselves and be comfortable with just being with the people and the things in the room and that they don't always need to be entertained and online. So the reason I wrote the book is the longer my family were doing this practice, it just brought so many benefits to me personally, as a parent, watching our children flourish. We have a almost 17 year old and almost 11 year old and they love it too. Um, People can't imagine that our teen loves it, and it's literally her favorite day of the week because she's in her most intense year of high school, and she loves to have a true break. And I think we just think, oh, the kids would never want to be off the screens, and I think it's just because they never are not on the screens. Mm -hmm. And that we as parents need to model behavior, and we need to show them that it's important to put your mind in a different mode and to exist in a different way. And I think that this concept of a day, a week of rest, which is thousands of years old, is really important. It's even more important today than maybe when it first started a long time ago.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Can you identify, Tiffany, anything specific that you would say, this is what I notice the most that occurs during that day of rest? Yeah as opposed to other days of the week is there a pattern within that day
1: a lot of things i mean well first of all friday nights always very social cuz we always have friends and family and neighbors over for dinner so that's a very social and mm. eating around a table and i think we need to be doing more cooking for people in our society i've never remember a more divided period in our country yeah and i think inviting people over for dinner is the most simple beautiful act you can do and it's just so Anyone that we kind of want to know a little better, it's just such a lovely way to do it. So I think we're also teaching our kids to sit around the table and have a conversation. Mm. It's not a kid's table and an adult's table. It's one table we have every Friday night. So that Friday night's very social. But then Saturday, I always sleep the best. That's important. There's no screens around and no one to wake you up. But the big things I notice, time feels luxurious, which it never feels during the week as a dual working parent household. I notice that I feel much more creative, and I think everyone in my family would say that. We read in a much different way. I know this is a lot more daydreaming, hanging out. You know, we've gotten nature more. There's just more things to be fully in, engaged with, and not doing for a couple minutes, and then your phone beeps, and you're off the book, mm-hmm. or you're out of conversation, or you're out of the project. Mm-hmm. This is another one just that my husband and I have noticed is we feel much more productive ultimately because we take a true day of rest each week. So over the course of 10 years, we just look at when you really give yourself a day off because no one's ever off anymore. We have the phone and even leisure can feel like work when you have to post something and caption something and make it look good and check on it. So I think ultimately I feel more productive because I really let myself not be available to the world for one day.
0: So does this carry over for you? Do you find beyond the one day and, and the way that it refreshes you or strengthens you or helps you in that regard, does this carry into your week, do you find?
1: Yeah, I go into the book a lot of like things I do the other six days because I'm just like anyone. I will find myself getting in that rabbit hole trap, checking the social media and then check I'm like, wait, don't go down the rabbit hole. And I I have all these other interventions I do throughout the week to keep me from getting sucked in yeah like i wear a watch now so when i'm looking for the time i look at my watch i don't look at my phone when i wake up anymore that's been huge i write in my journal kind of think about the day and i'm not thinking about the news or the email i'm not letting other people set the tone of my day Mm -hmm. there's no phones at the table you know i i I have a whole section in my book about the other six days because there's so many little things you can do to bring some more sanity back Mm -hmm. Um, because I think we're just at this point where it just feels out of control. Like people have their phones everywhere, the bathroom, the boardroom, the bedroom, the this, that's in their hand all the time. There's like, there's never a moment when you're in a moment.
2: Yeah. Wayne had an example uh, the other day of a person that he was working with, with a play that he's doing. And, well, you can explain it, Wayne.
0: Yeah. It was, it was a, a young person who was doing props backstage we just finished, actually, we closed a play last night that I was in, and uh, oh. 98% of the time, this young woman was on her phone. She was with us, but she wasn't with us. She came and she did her job, but all the time that we were there prior, when we were in warm-ups and doing things, she would be sitting there on her phone, even though she was in the same room. We're in the performance, we're out of the performance, we're in the uh, green room in the in the intermission, she's there with us once again the entire time as she's on her phone. Yeah. We finished the performance since it was the last night. We had uh, you know a party afterwards. She's at the party. And once again, she's on that phone pretty much the entire time except for about two minutes. Uh-huh. And I just thought to myself, this is a person who's there, but not-, but not there at all. And I mean, you mentioned it earlier about how you see that. And I think that the thing is, Do people realize what they're giving up? Does she realize what she's giving up?
1: You know, that's what I feel like with this show I did at the Museum of Modern Art, Dear Human, and my book, what I hope to do with these things is kind of wake people up. It's like a runaway train where everyone just feels like it's acceptable to do that. And I want to remind people to be human. And that, I mean, that just broke my heart. You told me that experience that she was at, she wasn't at. Yeah. And, you know, on a film set, there's a lot of hurry up and wait. And it used to be that that would be where the funny conversations would happen. And that's when you would bond with your crew. Mm-hmm. And now any second that you're not filming, people are on their phones. So at my last film set, I was like, there's going to be no phones here. Mm, you're, you're being hired to be here and you're going to be here. And It's just a different dynamic. And if everyone checks out any second they can, like life is about those in-between moments and the uncomfortable moments and the moment, the bonding, and they knit together the fabric of society and of any experience. And right now, if you have this addictive alluring device that you're constantly going to be looking at any second, and it's designed to be addictive. I mean, I feel addicted to it. That's why this weekly Tech Shabbat breaks me of that feeling of needing something so much. Yeah. And I feel liberated. And I remind myself, and I think it reminds my kids, just to exist without it. And, you know, inevitably, our younger daughter, you know, there'll be a point where she's like, I'm bored. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, great. Great. <laughs> what should we do? Right. What should we do? That's when creativity happens. Yeah. You're at the runway of creativity mm-hmm. right now. That's when it all yeah. it always happens. Something amazing happens. I mean, she doesn't love when I say that, Yeah, <laughs> but she will come up with the most creative ideas. I mean, it's just like clockwork. It's like that boredom leads to creativity. And I mean, there's so much neuroscience to back this up that when you let your mind wander and Just work with what's already in there. You're going to make unusual connections. But right now, we don't give ourselves a moment of airtime for Mm -hmm. our own thoughts.
0: Yeah, well, you know, on our podcast, it's the Choiceful Family Project, Live Above the Noise, the Choiceful Family Project, and we spell it choice-full, F-U-L-L, because awareness ability and control makes up choice fullness awareness ability and control and so the first thing that you have to have is you have to have that awareness of where you are like you have that awareness you have that awareness what that device in your hand is doing which then allows you to develop the abilities which then gives you control over your life kids don't have that and of course the younger that happens we've addressed that in many of our podcasts there's one podcast with Joe Clements and Matt Miles, two award-winning teachers, and they talk about how some kids will come to school and not personally interact with anyone all day. They're on their device. They leave their classrooms. The classrooms are silent. Everybody's on their device. They go to whatever their break period is. They're on their device, etc. And it's really something that starts with that awareness. And unless you have that, you're really in trouble. And so, you know, we really appreciate and congratulate you for the work that you do in making people aware that they have to do something. And that kind of leads us to the question about your character day, which we're just fascinated by. We have something called the inner IQ. To become choiceful, we believe that the framework to do that is called the inner IQ. And that's inner integral qualities, of which there are three components, character, competence, and communication. And a lot of the stuff that you're talking about in Character Day and and the periodic table of character strengths are things that we value in the inner IQ. Could you talk about Character Day for a bit here?
1: Yeah, so Character Day really came out of going back to your original question where I I first learned about the positive psychology movement and, you know, Marty Seligman and Peterson, I was like, ah, I love thinking about who we are in these 24 character strengths like creativity and courage and Virtues like wisdom and transcendence. I just love just thinking that there are 24 character strengths that make up each of us. So immediately I wanted to make a movie Mm
0: -hmm.
1: and I made an eight minute film called The Science of Character. And then we thought, well, so many of our films are used in schools and, and they play at film festivals and on TV and theaters and stuff. But could we create a day where that's all people talked about? So we created Character Day, and at this point now we've made, I think, six films. We've made Science of Character, Brain Power, The Adaptable Mind, but they're all short films, and then they have discussion guides to go with them by age group. So kindergartners could talk about it, elementary school, middle school, high school, and at companies and colleges and everything. And we've done Character Day as a global event for six years, and this last year we looked at it in relation to screen use. And in this next year, it'll probably be something that will allow all of our resources to be available because we're going to be... Focusing on the Dear Human show that just premiered in New York. But we are really interested in creating material to spark conversation and discussion and then provide you with all this research and discussion guides so that you can delve further on it. So we have a lot of great partners and it's been a really amazing ride. It, last year we had over 200,000 groups sign up. Wow. So it's gotten really big. It's gotten so big that it kind of took over our whole film studio. So we're, you know, we're filmmakers at the core. So we're going to try to figure out a new model this year so we can also work on our live production, Dear Human. We're going to make a film series on our book 24/6. Oh great. And of course, all of our films are available for free. We're a nonprofit, so we have wonderful foundation support, so everyone can just use our materials forever.
0: And we're going to give people information on that at the end of the podcast. Um, Rob, could you talk a little bit about, you know, we have, as I said, in the inner IQ character, And then we break that down into identity, values, and virtues. And identity is a huge one for us. And I know you have some thoughts, Rob, as to how that all relates together that maybe you could share with with Tiffany.
2: Yeah, well, let me say there's an area of identity that I think is overlooked. So when we think of character, we say it's all three, values, virtues, and identity. So what do we mean by identity? And the work that was done by a guy named Asagioli, a psychologist in Italy, basically said that we have sub-personalities. Don't think of yourself as having a personality, that the way it really works is you have sub-personalities mm. that basically based on neuroplasticity would be conditioned from birth according to who you're with and how you need to react to the people you're with. So probably the easiest way to think about that and the fun way to think about it is... That the 12 archetypes. And you could say, do I have a ruler inside? Do I have a caregiver inside? And if you look at the 12 archetypes and you add identity to the mix of character, basically what Asagioli is saying that you will operate out of these sub-personalities according to the context you're in. So this becomes huge with regard to the programming of new values in the future. If you're looking at the power partners, which I call the power partners, that are basically tech media and consumerism combined, and their impact with all three joining forces to create you know, new media that has archetypical structures built in, and then what happens with that is that kids, especially at younger ages, become addicted, or at least there's a lot of persuasion built in to identifying with certain archetypes at earlier ages so from my perspective if you start to watch filmmaking on the the modes of adventure kinds of films not necessarily documentaries and you start to count the kinds of things that are occurring within any of the contemporary films for adventure kinds of concepts or characters you start to watch the increase in attention-getting mechanisms and attention-getting characters. And so in my work in media, and I've been in a thousand boardrooms with everything from Lucas and Spielberg's boardrooms on working on their projects to college areas working with kids at college. And I noticed that the attention mechanism... We all know that it's dropped down to, I don't know what it is now, six seconds. I remember there was a time when you could do a 30-second commercial, and and now you start to notice how that whole thing has changed. But then it's like my experience in the boardrooms have been, do absolutely anything to get their attention. Anything. So if I start looking at the latest adventure kinds of films, and I have to shut it off because the first 20 minutes of the film is car crashes and car chases. You know, I'm going, I haven't heard hardly any dialogue yet, or I don't know anything about the characters. All I'm seeing is attention getting mechanisms that are built into the filmmaking process now. So, this idea of identity, shifting identity, building identity, creating identity as part of character, and then Which identity has what character traits based on the programming and the neuroplasticity of how that information is being incorporated into my framework of who I am becomes a a piece of our inner IQ. That's a lot of talk.
0: No,
1: no, it's interesting.
2: But it is fascinating to me about the changes that are occurring, the speed of change and how that's occurring.
1: Yeah, I'd love for you to send me that research of the, the personalities Immediately, like, that's, I'm like, huh, that's fascinating. Send it to me. I want to read it. It's so interesting.
0: Sure, yeah.
1: Yeah, I, mean, I think, you know, we need words to break down who we are and how to work on ourselves. And, and I think the more language that we can have, the better. So the more words you can put to it, I think it just really helps. So that's very cool. I'm really interested in that.
0: Well, you have a quote, Tiffany. It was, uh, Tech is Us an extension of who we are. And when you think about identity, and when you say that, it makes me think, kids that are growing up today, if tech is us and it is an extension, what is the tech turning them into? What identity is it shaping when it is all about attention? And I think that's why it's so important that you're saying, and I don't want to put words in your mouth, but you're saying we need to incorporate the idea of character things that have been important for 2000 years into our tech and therefore into our lives. And it's kind of a loop, isn't it? I mean, we need to be that way to put it in our tech and our tech needs to reinforce it to put it back into our lives. And isn't that the case?
1: Yeah. I mean, I just think it needs to be integral because people are spending so much of their time online right now. Who are you when you're online? When is it better to actually have an in-person conversation about something how can you translate your identity? I mean, I know someone in my life who's so warm and wonderful on the phone and in person and in email, he's so curt and he would think it was like two different people. And how do you translate who you are? And I think, you know, I mean, for me, this whole journey with the book and doing these texture bots for so long is when to understand where nothing will replace an in-person meal together. <laughs> There's nothing. Yeah. And also just how much we should value just, ourselves. This is really valuing that you have valuable stuff already in your mind, that it's valuable to spend time with your own thoughts and with your kids and your partner in an uninterrupted way. And that's not all the time, but can you carve out a day where you're like, this is family day. I mean, when I was growing up, Sunday was family day and we just hung out together. And you know, a lot of people say, my gosh, I have so many activities, I could never do it. Well, first, I would say, mm-hmm. can you have a day where you have don't have so many activities on a weekend? Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, it like is that good for everyone. And then second, we've done it with two kids in soccer. So it's possible, you know, we all existed before the iPhone where you just made a plan and you stuck to it. Yeah, yeah. Teach your kids just resourcefulness, how to make a plan, how to read a map, how to like, exist without technology is really important. Like to me it just teaches them a sense of resilience and resourcefulness and fun. That Mm -hmm. fun doesn't need to be something else. Like you can make the fun. (laughs) You can or you can just be and just that just hanging out without all that input and noise and stimulation every second is really important. And you know, even reading, because we do read a lot on Saturday But I know that everyone in my family feels you just read in a completely different way when there aren't the screens. And, you know, the other six days, a lot of negotiation of turn off the screen. Okay, your 30 minutes are up or no screens at the table. You know, it's just like a constant conversation. And it's exhausting for me.
0: Yeah, for sure. You know, we have an analogy that we use. And and it's the idea that you're underwater and you're in a bubble. Hmm. And while you're in that bubble everything's kind of okay, because you can breathe, you're all right. But you know, as soon as you burst that bubble, the water's going to come rushing in. Mm -hmm. And it's kind of the same way with our world, we're able to take that break. And I think that's absolutely important. But as soon as that new day starts, as soon as that bubble breaks, there's all this pressure on our kids as to how do they handle it at that particular time. So we feel that it's really important that children develop a framework. And, you know, that's why I'm so interested in your character stuff. They develop a framework that will sustain them when the water's rushing in, when the noise is rushing in. And that's something to try to actively or proactively encourage. That's sort of the framework that we have as the inner IQ. And then we get to the idea of, well, how do you do that? How do you do that in this world? And so we have something that you probably would appreciate a lot. And we call it entertainment. It's something that Rob's been working on for a long, long time. That's entertainment with an I.
1: Oh my God, I love that. That's so good.
0: It's how you use and translate entertainment in a way that helps move you into development as opposed to taking your choice away and moving you away from development. So the method we use to teach the inner IQ is called entertainment. And Rob, would you like to talk about that a little bit? Yeah, well,
2: probably 40 years ago that I started on entertainment. And the whole idea was if you start with entertainment and you look at the definition of amusement and distraction, you go, okay, let me flip it. So what if it was a self-improvement strategy based on entertainment? What if you could self-develop and self-improve using entertainment and you could be amused using entertainment? But at the same time, you could translate great entertainment into entertainment. That was the premise that we started with. And then basically, it became a new framework for change that has been flushed out. I've taught it at the university level. It was the first course in the United States, the entertainment course at Woodbury University in California. And then I also used it for Baylor School of Medicine to get kids that were in the Head Start program, were five, six, seven-year-old kids, to eat vegetables, you know, which is not an easy thing. Mm -hmm. So it starts with, okay, so we have to develop characters and we have to develop story and we have to develop certain things that are so entertaining and motivational. And going back to your, your dad and your mom and their brain research on dopamine and what will elicit dopamine and the pleasure hormone, by using certain kinds of entertainment dimensions to start with. And then from that point forward, turning the entertainment into entertainment. So it's got three levels. It starts with the first level is a framework for the difference between entertainment and entertainment. Then the second level starts with what do you love? This is their story. It's like, paying attention to their story. What is it that you love? And it's personalized. What entertainers, what celebrities, what do you love? So you introduce the motivational dimension at the second stage of the work and get people involved in entertainment, involved in their own personal attraction to celebrities and so forth. Then you move them from the understanding of what occurs in the inner IQ, based on the second level, then you can move them into the third level, which is a change strategy. So you build it on three particular levels, introduce it, increase the motivation, introduce them to the science of change and yeah. and that alteration of their values and character and their competence. And you can work with that once you get the motivational piece in the middle and you've established the excitement over their own personal preferences. And then you can translate that into the third level of what to do. And one of the things that is relative to this idea of identity is something I call the entertainer. And because I believe one of the greatest things that can happen to you as a human being is that you come to love yourself for all your faults. And by embracing those faults, understanding those faults, you can translate those faults once you begin to recognize them, become aware of them. That gives you the ability to embrace them first, understand them, and then allows you to transform those faults into things that work better for your life. So the entertainer is the part of you that can entertain yourself, can amuse yourself, can incorporate all parts of yourself, embrace all parts of yourself, and then has the ability to transform those parts based on the work that can be done in the entertainment method.
1: You no, know, I love all that. I'm reading this book right now. It's not out yet, but it's looking at kind of the history of screens and film and television and internet and phone and all that. But, you know, it's something I think about a lot too, is just storytelling with so much to teach you things around the campfire and like what are our kids being taught right now by all these teachers we have no idea what well we do know what the message is if they're watching reality shows or the social media or just what are the kind of messages who are their teachers today besides of course you in the home but they're online a lot of times and it's important to think about all those things So i love that idea of entertainment that's really really i love all your terms (laughs) it's so great
2: Oh, thank you. And I think everybody's talking about story, but you can be introducing the idea of story at the earliest possible age to a child by reading to them. They love stories and it continues to be one of the one universal concepts that can translate all the way up into your entire life. You know, whether, no matter what age you are, you still get down to their story and your story. And if you can introduce those two ideas, what's their story? What's your story? What's the difference? And start kids at the earliest possible ages of understanding how their story is, and then look at other people's story and entertainment against their own personal story. You can build an entire inner IQ around how a child forms their own story and then carry that right up into adulthood. And all the way through, I mean, there's 50 year olds, 70 year olds that are changing their story all the time. And sooner or later, you get down to what's on the tombstone? You know, what's the legacy you left behind? What was your story? And I was just reading some research the other day on death and dying, and they said the number one thing that people regret in all the research they did is they never got to develop their own story. They lived someone else's story. They got involved in taking care of someone else's story. Mm -hmm. It was all about their story. And when it came to the end of their life, that was the single biggest regret in all the research. I never got to understand my own story. Mm -hmm. And so that's a beautiful, beautiful concept to work with all the way from the earliest ages through adulthood.
1: Mm, yeah. I mean, what is the story? I, th- I mean, I think about dying all the time because I, you know, I, the reason I started doing these tech Shabbats, I'm not sure if I mentioned, but I had this very dramatic period of days where I lost my father and my daughter was born. And it really made me question <sighs> life and just what are we doing while we're here? I made a film called 30,000 days. Cause that's about the average amount of days you get. If you live the average life expectancy and, mm. And how do you live life to the fullest while you're here? So I think it's really good to think about what is the story of your life? What's on your obituary? What do you want to be remembered for? Yeah. And did you live your story? Did you live your truth? I think those are really important things to think about.
0: And I think that circles us right back to when we're talking about tech and, and where it's going and what persuasive design does to children and all of this business. Being on that device continuously is not exactly living your story, is it? I mean, there couldn't be a more dramatic example.
1: No, you're living everyone else's story. That's exactly
0: right. Absolutely. And it's so pervasive. And, you know, I think the thing is, is that people have to realize that they're not to blame for this. This is all worked into things. And, you know, you said it's built in to be addictive. It is. I mean, that's exactly what it is. And we have a concept called the cycle of noise. And the cycle of noise is what happens to us, and it takes away our choices. When we talk about the choice full, choice full simply means that you have the ability, you have the awareness, you have the control to actually make the real choice that benefits yourself or your family or your world, as opposed to having the appearance of choice, but in reality being driven towards choices that someone else has made for you. And that, of course, is what's happening with a lot of that based on persuasive design and technology. But the cycle of noise is an interesting phenomenon. I think everybody knows it, but they haven't really put it down into words or or a term. Rob, could you just explain the cycle of noise a bit?
2: Yeah. The other thing about that is if you look carefully at Kurzweil, Ray Kurzweil's work about the law of accelerating returns and Moore's law, and the Stanford persuasive design. And it gets down to at least the latest thing I heard of is information's going to double every seven years or is doubling every seven years. So you have to ask yourself, okay, if tech media and consumerism combined become the power partners that are calling the shots, that are changing the incoming information that we're dealing with, and it's going to double every seven years. So what do we do given the fact that that's incremental and the human brain cannot possibly stay up with the increase in information. And so the cycle of noise is based on the idea that tech, media, and consumerism changes information, both the amount of information and the complexity of the messaging. So that's the second step after the increase in tech, media, and consumerism. The third step is that, so what does that mean? So it means that overload and stress occur as a result of the amount and complexity of the messaging increase and what we see happening especially with millennials and gen z's
1: i love this, this is the overload and stress that the complexity is greater than our brains can handle completely
2: yes so what does that mean if that happens then the question becomes okay so what do you do with overload and stress And so what we're seeing with millennials and YGen now is anxiety, suicide, and depression, significant increases. I mean, sort of mind-boggling mental health issues, starting with kids that have been exposed for the last 10, 15 years to the digital world because of the overload. They don't call it that. But you got the persuasive design guys at Stanford, psychologists working on persuading you that are getting paid big bucks to do that increasing the amount and complexity of the messaging and changing information. And then you're left with a brain that can't handle it. So what do you do when you can't handle it? You compensate. And so if you cope and compensate, you'll do that with addiction or opioids or give me more dopamine pleasure. So I will pay more attention to the kinds of things that make me feel good. And so along comes entertainment with amusement and distraction feeds me more dopamine pleasure and what we do know is that emotion underlies brain patterning it's not at the cognitive level or the down at the triune brain down at the base level it's the emotional level that is patterning behavior so all of this stuff is geared to be highly emotional and to repattern the brain and in the process of doing that values and virtues get shifted and in media and film And What happens, therefore, at the last stage is if your values, virtues are shifted, if you're compensating for overload, and if overload increases, you're susceptible to more hijacking and to more noise. I mean, you can just look at society and and see how just the Twitter universe, what it's done and all the way up to the top where this whole thing is about hijacking and the ability to talk about disinformation or overload or disruption doesn't even matter anymore. It's because, you know, there's a percentage of the population that is so overloaded that what they're doing is saying, I don't have the time to go into the well, to dig deeper, to understand, to do the research, to do, you know, my self observation, self reflection. I don't have time to do that. So what am I gonna do? Well I'm gonna hitch to somebody else that'll do it for me that's my translator and buy into what they're saying Mm. and that's unbelievably dangerous because well we we don't get into politics but if you see
1: no i mean we should because i mean we've never lived in a more divisive time yeah i mean i think you're right on with what you were saying but it's also because all the small moments that knit together the fabric of our society, we're not doing anymore because we're staring at our phones. Yeah, And our data is being manipulated. So yes, we have thousands of behavioral scientists and engineers who, and their sole job is to keep you glued to the screen, to sell you things. And, and now the data sets are out there to manipulate what you're thinking and predicting your behavior and making you do things. And that'd be very scary. Yeah. And so I think it's all very real. And so this is such a complex issue. There's so many things that need to happen with tech companies and that government regulation, and then there's self-regulation, which is what I'm talking about. There's so many things that need to happen, but something that every individual can do, and I kind of walk them through with this book 24-6, is is how do you implement your own self-regulation and say, you know, in our home, we value that reflection. We value authentic connection. We value these things. It might not happen in the world, but we are going to value this in our homes because that is what parenting is and that we have new information and now we might be changing the rules around the screens and to not make tech Shabbat a punishment because a lot of parents take away screens as a punishment but really your tech Shabbat is like the best day of the week and I go into this a lot in the book of just approaches with kids different ages because it's not like don't say oh we're going to turn off all screens because they're going to be like oh my god that I'm deprived I'm Mm -hmm. instead it's like what do you wish we had more time to do And ask every member of your family that question and fill the day with that. And it'll become the best day of the week. And these are things to do that don't involve screens. And I have a whole section, and I couldn't believe I even needed to write this. But at the end of the book, I'm like, by age, things to do without screens that are really fun. You know, because it's like, (laughs) we've forgotten, like, how to exist without them. And there's so much of the simple pleasures of life come without them. And I think baking that into your week, and I think everything that you were saying... You know, it's made us so distracted. I was thinking as you were writing that Twitter has made us twitchy. And you have to understand, I am on Twitter. I'm on Twitter. So like on the one hand, especially with the coronavirus and whatever, I'm like, you know, it's it's such an interesting way to get news and connect with people and share information. And on the other hand, not all the time. Mm -hmm. That that just puts cortisol level up high and you're in a constant state of overstimulation and you're never getting the space to just reconnect with yourself, reconnect with your partner, reconnect with your kids, just think and reflect and be without being responding to the world. Or as you're saying, just following other people's stories, which, you know, the the one thing that I'll say is that um, with my younger daughter, you know, they talk a lot about friendship, how to be a good friend. And one of the biggest things is don't talk about a really fun play date in front of another kid that wasn't at the fun play date. And that's like, Number one, a friendship. Yeah. And it dawned on me that that's social media. I don't think you ever age out of seeing a fun play date or a conference or a vacation or anything that you weren't invited to. Mm. So basically, we're just watching tons of things we weren't a part of. And there's another writer, Cal Newport, who wrote that social media makes you feel both connected and alone at the exact same time. Right. And I thought that was brilliant observation. Cause you think you're so connected, but it's not like soulful connection. And, you know, I think the loose connection is good. Like some of the time. And of course there are benefits. I was reading this article that in colleges it's like a way to stay posted, but then put down the phones and go out and talk with, I mean, this is just like 101 and be human, which yeah. is just why we called the show dear human. Don't forget how to be human here. Cause as the technology Advance and there's going to be augmented reality soon. We're not going to be looking at screens, they could be in your contact lenses. There's going to be earbuds so small you can't even see when someone's not listening to you. Yeah, that's all coming. So, even more so, you will need to rise above and say, These are the important things I value in being human as a family mm-hmm. uh, for myself, and that's what we need to instill in
2: our kids. Yeah, and you know, the, the interesting thing about 5G is here and 5G. I was reading an article the other day said you're going to be throwing your existing phone away before 2020 is over because all the new phones will have 5G, which will allow you then to immerse yourself in virtual reality from your phone and be able to light your room up and create virtual reality off your phone and the 5G networks. And Everything is switching to 5G, all investments, all technologies, big, big billions of dollars being invested in 5g to take us to another level of immersion and so you're you're right it's like where does it go from here where we haven't even got started yet in terms of the the levels of immersion that are taking place
1: exactly so i mean i talk a lot about like everyone's staring down at their screens but that's assume that's not going to be what we're talking about so it's like what are we talking about
2: yeah yeah
1: and then i think this gets back to the original question you asked me is what is the meaning of life Mm -hmm. what is our purpose here how do we stay human and live with purpose, connection, meaning through all of these new advances? And for me, it has been this one day of week, which I just think is like this simple, free, ancient wisdom I'm just trying to bring forward. And it gives me perspective. Every week, I get complete perspective of how weird it is on how much I need it the other six days. And I have to say, I also sometimes look forward to on Saturday night reconnecting. I live in 2020 and I can connect to any idea. But I think it has this dual effect. Like every Friday, I can't wait to turn it off. Every Saturday, I appreciate the miraculous thing called the web. (laughs) Um, And I get perspective of what I gain and what I lose from the screens. And I think the big question of our time will be, When does turning on screens amplify who we are as humans and our connection? And when does it amputate it? Mm -hmm. And when does it actually disconnect us from what's happening right in front of us?
2: Well, I'm, I'm going to bring up a concept that you brought up, Tiffany, which was a shift from the knowledge economy to the human economy. I think you said that.
1: It was in one of my movies. Yeah, yeah.
2: Right. And I thought to myself, oh, man, that is such a great idea. When is Tiffany going to do a film on the human economy? (laughs) <laughs> because <laughs> there's such an opportunity there to to point out the difference between what it means to be human and what the knowledge economy is not addressing. And I thought, boy, what a place to go. So I looked up human economy, and I, I noticed that there was an article, um, you know, Harvard.
1: Uh, by Doug Friedman. Yeah.
2: Right. But it was way back in 2004, I think. Yeah. And I thought, well, that makes sense, too, You know, given the fact that It's all about the worldview and a worldview that embraces the human economy. Is still there's too many people in the modern worldview and the knowledge economy, and that the human economy is going to take it to the new level. But it's a small percentage of the population that have the consciousness to do that or the desire to do that currently. But boy, what an opportunity for a film for anybody to begin talking about the distinction between the knowledge economy and the human economy.
1: Hmm. Well, you know, I told you, my husband's a professor of robotics and we talk a lot about what are the things that robots and AI will never be able to replace? Hmm. And we made this film, well, it's actually, I made a, a 10 minute film called The Adaptable Mind where, where we explore that. And also Ken and I made a film called Why We Love Robots that also explores it. And it's really gets down to things like empathy. Take These are things that robots and AI will never be able to do. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And taking initiative cross-disciplinary thinking and truly authentically connecting so we need to value our humanity moving forward because as the technology increases there's going to be things that it's going to do so much better than us but then there's some things that will never do better than us so we should be focusing on strengthening those parts of us and that's who i think are really going to exceed moving forward
2: yeah you know and there's another area that's completely unaddressed and that is uh you know, there's age and stage, but this, the idea of state, you know, your brain state is shifting into different kinds of whether it's alpha or beta uh, states and different states. That's not talked about too much, but there is the opportunity for entrainment of the brain states based on new technologies in a positive way, which is you know i've been using an app i was going to experiment with it for a while for my students before i ever recommended it and so it's a, a an app that trains different brain states according to what you're up to so it's got like i think 24 different brain states that can be trained based on whether you're into creativity or you're into sleep or you're into rest or whatever the question i would have is like what happens When you're involved in tech, what brain state are you in and what happens when you're doing technology Shabbat? Do you shift your brain state? And if you do shift your brain state, what goes along with that that nobody is really addressing? Because it's an interesting and brain-based way to address the differences that you need to be making in your life, whether it's through entertainment or technology or not, because you can certainly use apps in a positive way, too.
0: Thanks, Rob. And as a final thought for this episode, Tiffany, can you tell us what you've got coming up on the horizon and where are you going next with your work?
1: Well, I'm really excited. You know, I'm turning 50 in April, which feels like this big, beautiful milestone. And the MoMA show in New York and my first book coming out, it was such a culmination of so much work. And I'm really excited. Um, It's been so great, just the response to the book. Um, And the paperback comes out in May. So it'll be fun to continue that journey. And we're going to take the Dear Human show that premiered at MoMA in New York to other cities, and we're talking about turning the book into a series um, for a uh, film series. So uh, those are the things that are really interesting to me, and it'll combine all my interest in neuroscience and screen use and living well and the meaning of life and contributing well and all of those things.
0: That's fantastic. And that book, again, is 24-6, The Power of Unplugging One Day a Week.
1: And to find out information about the book and Dear Human, I would go to 246 Life and it's spelled two, four, the number, and then S-I-X Life, L-I-F-E dot com. And then all of the films I was mentioning in regards to neuroscience and character Day, you can go to letitripple.org. And there's a whole bunch of short films that explore this. And then my feature film Connected and i you know i'm i'm on social media and i have a new a quarterly newsletter you can sign up on on those sites and then i'm on you know instagram and twitter and facebook my last name is s h l a i n and the other five days i post on there and then i'm happily offline on the weekend <laughs> <laughs> okay
0: well that's tremendous well thank you so much for joining us you know we've really enjoyed the conversation and uh, you've just given us a lot of great things to reflect on and to think about and to share with others so Once again, thank you so much for joining us on Live Above the Noise. Thank you.
1: Oh, it was great to be on. Thank you.
0: And for all you listeners who have children ages 8 and up, or know someone who does, we've got some exciting news for you today. We've just released a new podcast for kids. It's called Shield Star Nights, a thrilling space fantasy adventure about five heroic cadets on a daring mission to save the sentient free worlds. It features inspiring heroes, amazing creatures, incredible worlds, and big bad villains. And, if you're a parent, we think you'll be happy to know that S.H.I.E.L.D. Star Nights is a different kind of podcast. It's more than entertainment. It's entertainment. Entertainment that was specifically designed to help kids develop the new skills and qualities they'll need for a successful future. S.H.I.E.L.D. Star Nights focuses on five all-important powers. Intellectual power, emotional power, the power of communication, physical power, and the power of leadership with integrity. It's based on the developmental concepts and methods that we talk about here at Live Above the Noise. And it seamlessly weaves the inner IQ and choicefulness into its story and characters. Your kids can listen to and subscribe to Shield Star Nights, which is spelled SHIELDSTAR, all one word, and Knights with a K, on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, CastBox, and many other podcast providers. So until our next episode, thanks so much for listening, and live above the noise. Hello, everyone. If you'd like to get our email update about new episodes, tips and tools, and all the latest information, please sign up for our Noise Watch update on our liveabovethenoise.com website.